little bit about me. You're not going to get much because it really doesn't matter who I am. It absolutely matters who he is and what he has to say to you this morning. I'm not going to come up here with pretenses and pretend to you I love you and I don't want you to be offended and I don't want you to be hurt. I don't want your feelings to fall on that floor and someone next to you step on them and hurt them and you're offended for the rest of your life. I will not pretend to you that way. That is not what God's word does. And if you're going to hear the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, sometimes the Holy Spirit (laughs) makes it really uncomfortable for you. So that's why you're about to get the introduction you're going to get. I am Patrick Stewart. I am the original, much better looking. (laughs) I love him though. And I tell you, I stand here before you today as a sinner. I've broken many hearts. I've hurt many people. And yet for some reason, some reason God has chosen to love me. He's chosen me to be his mouthpiece. And I look back sometimes and I go, Lord, why? Why? And then I think of that guy, Bart Millard. You, You remember that guy? Anybody heard him? Sure you have. When I say this, you'll get it. He's sitting, he says, I can only imagine. And I wonder I can only imagine what it'll be like, Lord. You'll love someone like me who's not worthy of that kind of love. A God who's truly holy, holy, holy. And you let filth, rottenness, like me, you invite me into your presence. That woman has put up with me for 47 years. Since she said, amen, amen, I buy that. That's why I'm telling you that, amen. Because even after she had to beg me to marry her, I'm just kidding, she never did that. Actually, I, ran, I did chase her, uh, set her up, that, as it were. But in high school, that was my sweetheart. I would purposely set my direction for a day, every day. So she'd walk by and see me, even though she was supposed to be seeing somebody else. She wasn't supposed to be seeing somebody else. She belonged to me. He just didn't know it yet. And she finally got the message. One night at a ball, a carnation ball, I was singing to the king and queen as they came down the aisle in the court. Uh, They thought I was singing to them. I had my own one person I was singing to that night, and she knew it too. That night, she was in that court, and I won her heart, and God blessed me with my wife. I've been saved for 45 years, 46 years almost. I tell you that because I have crushed her heart. I have done things. I'm I'm, I'm real. I am real. This is all I am. This is who I am. There's nothing left for me but glory. That's the only thing left for me. And whatever else God does between now and glory, it's his business. It's his doing. And he's been so good to us because of that. And she loves me. She, I don't know why, 
But she follows and she goes with me. I've just about drove over the cliff. Well, I almost killed her one day. I almost drowned her in, uh, in the inner tube, pregnant. But, you know, she's still there with me. I, I, all of that I'm saying, I'm trying to make a point to you. Today I want to talk to you about just people. That's who we are. We're people. And sometimes we make these pretenses as being people that we're a little bit better or higher than just people. And then when we do that, we don't realize we do it because for some reason there's a blinder here that don't allow us to see us. We don't realize that we're kind of persnickety. Even in Christianity. I heard a pastor the other day when he was praying and I'm going to pray here in a second, and I didn't pray that way, and I'm not going to pray that way, but Christians are some of the meanest people in the world. He's right. He's right. You want to know why he's right? Because God has given us his truth, and for us to do anything other than his truth makes us the meanest people in the world. Why? Because the world is being who they are. They're mean and they're knowing, they're okay with it, they're happy about it. We're, we're not to be happy when we're not right with God. There's supposed to be such conviction in our hearts. The Holy Spirit stirs your heart up and I don't feel right. Something's just not right. It shouldn't. Scripture calls it grieving the Holy Spirit. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, it's merely a warning. He's warning us. He's simply saying, hey, get this right. Hey, straighten this out. But then we get to those points. Remember the persnickety I, I mentioned? That's when we get to the point where we officially not stop grieving him. We flat out quench the Holy Spirit. Did you see how I did that? That's supposed to be we cut him off. We flat cut him off. We, don't, we stop listening. We walk around like our children some days going, lie, 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 lie. I don't hear you. And the Holy Spirit is glaring. He's trying to get us to stop. Much like Balaam's donkey. As that donkey was trying to get Balaam to stop. And finally, Balaam says, what's going on? And the angel speaks and says, if he'd have walked another step, I'd have killed you. I wonder how many of you this morning are, are right at that step to make one more step and God's going to put you to a stop. You don't think God's capable of doing that? You don't think God will do that? God will not allow you or me or anyone else to bring his name down to shame. He will not do that. Uh, you say, Pastor, that's pretty hard. Well, I did warn you. I'm going to tell you the truth. And I am. I am. You say, is that how you get your messages started? Yeah. That's the, that's the, that's the grim part. Now we're going to look at the good part. How about that? How about that? Let's look at John chapter 2. That's where our text is today. And I'm going to pray here. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We do praise your holy name. You are the holy, holy, holy God. Lord God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Father, speak to us today. We truly need to hear from you. You know every single iota of conversations, of meetings, of where this wonderful body of yours lie. 
You know where they are, Father. So we ask you this morning to speak. We ask you to, to stir up the love, the humility, Father, that we humble ourselves, that we, we would be truly your people who you've called us to be. Now, Lord, speak to us through your word, through the message. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you, O Lord. Amen. Amen. John chapter 2, verse 23. It says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the signs he was performing, and they believed in him. But Jesus was not, or did not, or would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about any mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Oops, uncovered it. God knows you. He knows exactly what's in you. He knows exactly the way you kind of look at things. He knows the perspective you come from. He, he knows Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the asunder of the bone and marrow. And watch this, ladies and gentlemen. He is, it is a discerner. It is a discerner. Somehow as believers, we forget that. That God's word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent. I have my children all the time in school. I teach, and they do something. I say, son, why'd you do that? I don't know. Yes, you do. Have you said that to your children? Yes, you know why you did that. Guess what? When we stand before God, we won't be able to say, I don't know why I did that. You know why? Because the word of God is a discerner. It cuts. It knows exactly why you did what you did. It, it knows why you're doing what you're doing. He knows everything you're doing. And so Jesus had begun his earthly ministry here. We see right at this, at this passage, his earthly ministry, and he turned the water into wine. Remember that in Canaan? He, he went to Capernaum after that, and then he went to Jerusalem. And there in the temple, he turned the tables over for the first time. The people, when he walked in there and saw what they were doing and how they were treating the house of God, he, he saw all of their hearts. He looked right at them. He saw that. And there they, they questioned his authority. And as it was here that we are told many believed in Jesus, many saw him with what we would have viewed today offensive for Jesus to come in the house of God and flip tables over and turn tables. Or how about flipping our hearts over and turning up the table to reveal what's up under that table? God here, the people came to him instead of being repelled from him. God's people, notice it said, they, many of them believed. You see, Truth have a way of not repelling people. Now, truth may slow you down a little bit. It may cause you to sit and really meditate or think about it. But truth never repels. Truth always uncovers, it, it reveals, and it draws. Because by nature, that's who we are. We know truth. You don't have to teach children truth, although we do. But people know when they've done wrong. They know it. Even when they lie, they know they've done wrong. And truth draws people. And, and, but however, here we see uh, something else in verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in them. 
In other words, Jesus knew that these people did not really love him. He knew that. He knew that it was a farce. So what did he do? He didn't let them draw close. They were just following him. They were just following him to get what they could get out of him, to get what they could get out of him. Did you know, did you know Christendom, ministry, Christianity has become a very, very lucrative proposition? Did you know that? Very lucrative proposition. There are people, Jesus called them hirelings. He said, I am the good shepherd. But the hireling who is hired, and he's hired just for money. The seminaries I went, seminaries I've spoken in, where I've gone, there's a lot of people in seminaries, they don't know Jesus. They don't have a, they don't have a relationship with Jesus, so therefore he's not putting, giving himself to them. They know it. You can read it. You can learn it just like you go to any other school, any, any university, any uh, seminary. But they don't know him because, because it's about what I can get out of it. What can I get out of it? Today, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to play like I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's going on here, but I do know what's going on here. But I don't know because I don't know, and I'm so glad of that. Praise God. All I get to do is come tell you the word of God, give you the word of truth. And I tell you, if you hear the word of truth, you will be so ministered to by it, and God will begin to chart a direction for you. But don't you be surprised if God starts speaking to you, and there's some repenting that needs to take place. There is 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, God has given to each of you and I the word, the ministry of reconciliation, of reconciling yourself to him. I, guys, we would be remiss. I would be remiss if I'd not say that to you. So here's where we go. Here's where we go. I have six Yeah, right once. I have six points for you today. Six great points. Because I, I wrote them, that's why I know they're great. But they're not. They're great because God says this. Watch, watch. And I'm going to talk to you strictly from one question, one thing. And each one of you have to answer these six things in your heart before the Lord. And trust me, you say, well, brother, I don't have to answer. Okay, you just answer. How about that? Yeah. See, you're going to have to answer them. God's smart. God's really smart. He's and a kajillion times smarter than I am. He's just super smart. He knows you sitting there. He knows every one of your heart. He knows some of you sitting there going, oh, he's going to have to make a believer out of me. <laughs> and then some of you go, preach, brother, preach. You know, saying, brother, preach, that's like telling a bulldog, sick him, because I get excited then, man. I really start <laughs> preaching. Woo! Okay, here we go. Oh, here's the question. Here's the question I want you to hear today. Please hear it, honestly. I'm not going to scream and yell. That's just not my format. That's just not me. You know what I want? You know what I do when I preach? I want to make sure people hear a clear, precise presentation of the, of the inspired Word of God. That is what saves man's souls. That is what changed a man's life. I want to make sure when you leave here, you'll never stand before God and say, that pastor, oh, he was all over the place. I didn't understand him. I didn't know what was going on. Well, here you go. One question. 
Do you love the Lord enough? You got that? Here we go. Do you love the Lord enough to read his Bible? Amen, little brother. Do you love the Lord enough to read his Bible? That's point one. Oh, we say we love God, but boy, our days are filled with all types of things. We're running from A to Z to here to there, and then all of a sudden we get to the end of the day, and where is the Word of God? Do we love the Word of God enough to read the Word of God? Because that's where your answers are. That's where God's going to direct you and lead you on your path, on your journey, wherever it is from this day forward. Do you love him enough to read his word? Psalms 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet, and that word lightens my path. God wants to give you direction. You don't always need someone to come to you. You don't need the prophet. When he say, someone tell you they're a prophet, run. I'm just telling you the truth, run. Run. You don't need a prophet. You don't need the priest to come. You don't need a bishop. You need the word of God. Go to it for yourself. He's there waiting on you. He's desiring to speak to you. He wants to talk to you. The best book I ever read, the best reading ever in my life, has been the word of God. The word of God, there's no book like it. And when we, we should be reading God's word. Why? Because we love God. We should be reading God's word because of God's grace that he brings to us. That's why that woman is still with me. It's because of God's grace. And every time I hear a pastor get up here and he's joking and he goes, ha, 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 if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Guess what, mama? She needs to repent too. Oh, it got quiet. What happened? Ooh. Well, okay, move on, pastor. Uh, everybody, God called us to repent. He didn't call us to be happy. You get the point? It's not a put down. Please don't, don't take it as that. It's not a put down. It is what God, we need to walk by the truth of the word of God. We discover, we discover, you'll discover that God's word, we should love him. We should, we should love him because of the grace he bestows on us, on me individually, that I don't deserve that grace. I don't deserve God to, for, to forgive me, but he does. We ought to do it because it tells of God's son. That's why we read the Word of God. He, it tells us about His Son and what His Son done for us, how He died, how He gave Himself sacrificially for you and me. So, so ought we to give ourselves as His children sacrificially to those around us, to those around us. His Bible tells us about heaven, about His heaven. Tells us about, yes, hell, yeah, Oh, man, that's mean to talk about hell. No, it's mean to not tell you about hell. It's mean to not tell you God wants his son. He sent his son to die to save you from that as a prerequisite, as a course. You're going there if you don't accept or receive his gift. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of your sin is death, but don't you love when God butt in? I do. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. He tells us that. He tells us about that. And we should read God's word because of those things. But God's word is a lamp. I, I read there in Psalms 119. And this lamp provides lighting. 
It provides lighting. It illumines. It helps us to see, to, to, to see our direction, to see where we're going. Incidentally, in seeing, some of us are expecting God to give us this old, long, kind of like the yellow brick road type of light that's going to give us a design right where to go. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. God only gives you light, the light that you're going to walk in. If you're not going to take the step to walk, guess what you're not getting? If you take the step, you'll notice there's something down there. And the next time you take a step, there's light for that path. God's not going to give you all of that and knowing you're barely using what he's given you. You're going to have to use what God has given you. His, his word, is, is, it lights up. It lights my path. It's a lamp. It's heating as well. It heats you up. It warms you. The word of God warms you in those cold nights, those dreary hard times when you're trying to figure out what should I do. He'll warm you. His word is like a miner's lamp. You know that little lamp up here like that? What's that little camera we call it today? That camera up here? You know, yeah, that's the one, the GoPro. You know, God's word directs. It's here. It's guiding you. It's able to shine on anything in your direction. He's able to do that. God's lamp shines at night. The light dispels the darkness. John 3, Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. This light dispels the darkness. It clears the darkness, but light gives safe passage, safety. There's safety there. So I ask you, do you love the Lord enough to read his word? That's the only way, the only place you're going to find God is in his word. Do you love his word enough to seek God for his direction? That's where direction is. That's where protection is. That's where God's sustenance is. It's found in the word of God. Number two, do you love the Lord enough? I'm so excited to see you folks this morning. Do you love the Lord enough to go to his house? I'm not putting down Zoom because I don't got in trouble for that. I'm not putting down Facebook. I understand that's another means of ministry, of outreach. I got that. But once you become his child, God says, let's see, Hebrews 10, 25. Do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together as the manner is of some. Why? Instead, we're to exhort one another. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. Here's why. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, there's enough against, the, against you. Did you know that? There's enough, enough going on against you as the church of God. Did you know that? that? We have a whole country that's against you. Actually, you have a world that's against you. Because they hate him, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. And we see that. You have enough against you. You don't need to have the inside, in-house, and all that stuff going on. We need, to, we need to not forsake the assembly. Why? Because Zoom is okay. Facebook is okay. But there are things here personally, seeing one another, loving one another, you'll never get from Zooming and Facebooking. I, there's no way you're going to shake a brother's hand and say, how are you today, brother? Oh, I'm doing fine, brother. And you're looking right in his eyes and you go, brother, what's going on? 
See, the Spirit will give you discernment when you're here, when a brother or sister is in need, or they, they, maybe they just need you to pray for them. And you can't see that, and you're not going to see that on Zoom with a, what do you call those little pictures up there? Somebody put a picture up, emoji, is that what they are? The emojis? Okay, I guess y'all see I'm not that technologically. I have people <laughs> doing for um, you know, they put that up and you don't see them, so you don't know what they're doing, and most of them not paying attention to what the word, what word. Guys, here in person, you hear from God. God is speaking to you corporately, because corporately, you, you are supposed to be, you being many, you are of one body. How? In Christ. In Christ. And I don't mean any harm. I'm sorry, Facebook and, and Zoomers. We love you. We do. Uh, but that's important to know. And I know that there are many who do not like. They don't like the house of the Lord. They don't want to come to the house of the Lord. As a matter of fact, we have people in our government purposely, purposely coming after the church, trying to shun, shut it down, the church. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to need each other to stand strong with each other as God's people. If believers, if a person loves the Lord, they'll want to be in the house of the Lord. When the services take place, they'll want to be here. Why? Because it is God's house that Christians get fed. It is in God's house they hear the preaching of the word of God that, that's able to save man's souls. They hear the songs. The songs bless you. They're leading you to the word, to, to partake of the meat of the word. You know, every Sunday morning when you come in here, you ought to come in here like one of the, uh, with, your, um, with your Bible, getting ready to watch one of those cooking shows. Whoa, now pastor's really lost it now. Yeah, you come in here like you're watching a cooking show. You want to know how? Because when they're cooking, they're up there in preparation preparing you for something. When they come up here, the, the group, the music, singing, they have prepared all week. They're getting ready with music, music to bless you from the word of God, to direct you to the word of God. And essentially, that, that laid guitar over there is kind of like salt. And over here, we have pepper on the keyboard. And over here, we have those, those uh, what you call chives? Those, okay, you know, all of those little things you're mixing in to add flavor. And they're adding flavor to the meat so that by the time the word of God comes before you, you are ready for it. You are ready to take it in. It becomes palatable, and you start understanding, and you are able to hear, yes, Lord, because now your body is in a frame of listening where you can hear what God is saying. That's what happens. Nathan told me I had two hours, so you guys go and get him, all right? <laughs> no, he didn't. No, did. Okay, but when we are in God's house, we observe things like communion. That's a precious, precious time. Communion with our God. Did you know the number one reason you take communion? It's because God wants you to be reminded that I'm coming for you. Did you know that? He says that for every time you do this, you do remember my coming. You remember he's reminding you every time you do it, I'm coming back for you, church. I'm coming back. 
That's why you need to be in the house of the, the house of the Lord. And, and you need to be in the house of the Lord when you ha- because we have baptisms. Baptisms ought to be a fun time. Tell them Pat, Pastor Stewart told you this, and, and, and I'll be back in Houston, so you know, I won't be in trouble for that. But when you have baptisms, baptismal services, you ought to be having parties. That's right. I believe in parties. How about that? Pastors, I do. Uh, oh, you, some of you are going, come on, Pastor. Listen, Scripture says in Luke chapter 15, Jesus said, the angels in heaven are rejoicing every time one person repents of their sin, then why, pray tell, aren't God's people rejoicing? We come to church to rejoice with one another. We're excited your son just got saved. We're excited your daughter, your wife has just gotten saved. She's been looking at this. Or your husband's been debating for years, and he finally said, Jesus, come into my heart, save me. This church ought to explode in praise to God. That's what we do in the harvest. We have a good time in the harvest. Actually, we don't do much without eating. Everything we do, eating is required. It's a part of the fellowship of the brethren. And it should be. In baptism, we worship in the spirit and in truth. We bring our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. Pastor, you just had to go to tithes, didn't you? I sure did. Our God is not stingy. He don't ask us, require us to be either. Our God's not stingy. They say, Pastor, come on. You know, the pastors always say that because they get paid. This one don't. Our church don't give me a thing. I don't ask them for money. You know what we do? We go out and we win souls, man. We see people coming to know the Lord. And last year in 2020, everybody's bunkered out and hiding out. We have an attorney standing fighting as the mayor telling us to shut the door. And you know what we're doing? 24 people gave their hearts to the Lord last year. 24. You know why? Because the church is God's church. And people need you, ladies and gentlemen. They need you. They don't need to see the bickering and all the, you know how Christians do, we do Christianity. They need to see that there is hope, and it is, in you, in me. His name is Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, that's only two points. I better hurry up because I will get in trouble here. Oh, my. So we, we love the Lord enough to read his word. We love the Lord enough to go to his house. How about the third point? Do you love the Lord enough to love, this is where the rub takes place in the house of God. Do you love the Lord enough to love his people? Why are we that way? I, I just don't know why. That's why I told you in the beginning I'm, I'm about me and my wife, we're people. We're people. We've had our knockdown, drag outs, I guess you can call it that. I'm probably one of the few pastors that ever tell you that goes on in my house. That's because the rest of them are lying. I mean, not really lying, but, uh, ooh, okay. Well, anyway, you know, because you're husbands and wives, you know what goes on, right? And, and I, I, I don't deny that. I don't put that by me. You know, when we started our church, I told my wife here just this morning, honey, and she looked at me, yeah, me too. Memories, a lot of memories. We started this way. We started this way. And I remember one day, I asked a brother to, to uh, take the offering, and the brother took off with a sermonette. 
And I was kind of giving him a hint with my eyes. And I was trying to elbow and wrap it up, cut it off. And he was going on and on. And 15 minutes later, and I'm like, brother. And I did this in front of the whole body. The Holy Spirit convicted me so terribly. The following Sunday, when I told my wife what I had to do, she said, well, Patrick, if God is convicting you that much, then you need to do what he's telling you to do. And I went in front of the church, and I asked that brother to come up. I asked him to please forgive me, brother. I was out of place. Even at that length of time, I was out of place. Your pastor was out of place. Had no idea that doing that, what God was going to do. God just exploded the place. It just started happening. We've never seen a pastor do that. We've never seen a pastor humble himself in front of his entire congregation and do it. I didn't know that. I didn't know. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it is all about you, God's people. It is all about you, the way you love each other, the way you care for each other. The Bible teaches that it's possible for believers to disagree with each other, but it's not, it's not the means for us to fall out. It's not a means for us to, to just disannul the whole thing. God has called us, 2 Corinthians 5. He's given to you and me the ministry of reconciliation. Some of you, God has been speaking in your heart, and you already know it. God has been telling you, you need to repent. Let me ask you, do you love the Lord enough to repent when God is speaking to you? Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you even know he's speaking to you? Do you even know that? That's why the first point was, do you love the Lord enough to go to his word? If you go to the word, he'll let you know. He'll let you know. And he's not going to play patty cake with you either to make you feel good. Feeling good is a byproduct of the joy of the Lord that is your strength. You want the joy, not the happiness. The happiness is like the roller coaster. One day you're up and the other day you're down. It's an emotion. You don't want that. You want the joy of the Lord. And the only way you get the joy of the Lord is by surrendering and following him. Do you love God's people enough? God's people should be your dearest friends. That's what I said. Well, you know, I have some people in the world, they're closer to me than my uh, brother and sister in the church. You have a problem. You have a serious problem. Now, I'm not saying you don't have friends. Please don't get me wrong. We are to have friends. That's how we win them to Christ. We have them. They're our friends. They don't have us. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, when I'm around them, they're they're seeing that when I walk in the door, oh, Jesus just walked in. Well, I, I used to work for the UPS for over 22 years, UPS. And when I walk in the door, I'm not, not uh, holy guys and almost like, look, he's talking about himself. No, I'm just giving you an example. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Walk in the door, and, and my nickname was, here comes Jimmy Swagger. It, it, was, it was some Christian leader's name. Here he comes. You know why? Because in those 22 years, God gave me his grace to win one brother after another brother after another brother after another one to Christ. 
over and over. Where in a company where they wouldn't allow you to pray with people, have prayer meetings, we won the supervisors. We won the managers to Christ. And guess what they did? Allowed us to meet in their offices. But early in the morning, and then God just kept winning people. And we wound up marrying. I must have married half a dozen people from there who get married. We had three people who, who, who retired from UPS and went in the seminary and are in the ministry today. It's because of loving God's people. Do we love them? We ought to be the dearest friends in sickness and sorrow and sorrow and suffering and the difficulties in their lives. That should be us. We should be there in everything, in everything. Number four, let me get off of God's people before I get to to meddling. Do we love the Lord enough to be filled with his spirit? Now, that sounds kind of an oxymoron, doesn't it? I thought when I get saved, I am filled with his spirit. Sure, you are. You're supposed to be. We are supposed to be filled with his spirit. <clears throat> but sometimes we don't act like it. Sometimes we don't act like it. Ephesians 5.18 is to be not, uh, 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 Paul says, to not be drunk with wine in its dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a present participle there. To be filled means to be actively, continuously being filled. That is every day being filled. That is the Holy Spirit is the one controlling and leading. And I tell couples when I'm talking with them and they come in, Pastor, she's just so controlling. Pastor, this man, all he wants to do is control me. Hold on, brother. Hold on, sister. You guys really love Jesus? Well, yeah, you know we do, Pastor. Whoa, hold on. Jesus is the one. The Holy Spirit is the one who should be in control. Did you hear that? Be being controlled. If you are allowing the Holy Spirit to be the controller, guess who leads the day? Guess who wins this argument? Guess who brings all of this to a head? The Holy Spirit. Is he going to hurt you? Absolutely not. That's not his dealing. He's always about bringing about truth. He's always about bringing about re restoration. And it's not to hurt you. It's not to harm you. It is to bring about the best for you. It's bringing about the best for you. A wife should know that her husband has her best interests at heart. She should know that and trust that. And dude, she should have a good reason. You have to give her a reason. You have to be, now I'm not the pastor to beat up on men because I'm a man. I'm fudging. <laughs> no, I'm not. Listen, truth goes across the board for everybody. That's why you heard me say earlier, if mama not happy, nobody's happy. No, that's not true. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says when we are out of fellowship with God, we need to repent and get back in it. 1 John 1, 9, confess your sin. If That's why God put that for you and me, the big little word. You know the big little word? Everybody know that word? If. It means God's put it in your hands. You decide. If you decide you want to walk around for a few days with your jaw stuck out and pouty pow pow pout, then you will reap the consequences of that pouty pow pow. That's up to you. God says, if you confess your sin, I am faithful. What else do you need? 
I'm just. I will forgive you. Well, then in the same term, when your wife come to you and say, honey, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm going to tell you, women, it's harder for them to come to us and say they're sorry than it is for men to go to them. You know why? Not because they don't want to, not because they can't, because they know how you're going to act. <laughs> they, know, they know how we are. Let's give them a different picture. Let's give them a reason to want to come. Give them a reason to say, because that's what the Father does to us, for us. Am I okay on time? Good. I, I keep saying no, but I'm thinking that means yes. Okay. All right, here we go. Do you love the Lord enough to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It's easy to say we love him, but I wonder how many of us love him enough Love him enough to allow the Holy Spirit to control me fully, to give up everything. I watch some of you in here. I'm a people watcher. I'm not a, cra- I'm not a freak. Oh, I'm not crazy. But I, 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 in my psychology class, I had a project in the mall. They made us go to the mall, and we had, to have, we had a notepad and a pencil. And the project was to stand on a corner and observe people. <gasps> Oh, my goodness. People do some funny things, man. Just you ought to watch them. And, and we were there observing the people, watching what they were doing. And watch the control. What was controlling them? I bet I don't even have to tell you what was controlling them, do I? Do I have to tell you? Do I have to tell you? Do I, have, I don't have to tell you. I, it's amazing the things we allow to take control and rule our lives rather than the Holy Spirit. We sing hymns. Remember the song, you probably don't know this hymn. Maybe you do. Remember the song, Oh, How I Love Jesus. We sing that song. Have you ever thought about what you were singing? <laughs> A beautiful song that was sung this morning saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, do you realize what you're saying? Do you really realize when your hands are outstretched, the palms are up, you're literally saying to God, my hands are empty, fill them. Do you realize that? And when God began to fill them, you go, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to do that. Hold on. Holy Holy is the Lord. One of my professors had a statement, being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said this one day to me, and I'll never forget it. It is so clear, even to this day. That was in 2005. He said, Patrick, to know him is to love him. To love him is to trust him. To trust him is is to obey him. And he could see on my face I was puzzled, just like you are right now. So he backed it up for me. He said, think about it, Patrick. Will you really obey someone you do not trust? <laughs> see, the obvious answer, nope. Will you, do you, will you really love someone, trust someone you do not love? Mm-mm, not us, we won't. Well, then it stands to reason. You certainly won't love someone you don't know. That is the requirements God has called on us, is to love him 
It's to know him. That's the word. That's reading the word. That's digging in the word of God. And when you're reading in the word of God, you're loving him. Now you begin to learn to trust him. That's where our faith comes in. The just now begin to live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We start to trust him. We start to hear him. And then when you get to that stage, ladies and gentlemen, then you're ready to obey him. Obeying becomes easy. You say, brother, that's a hard thing. You can't say that about people. Yes, I can. We are God's greatest creation. We are his greatest creation. You're telling me when God makes it clear to you to do this or do that, you're going to fight him and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I just don't want to do that. I don't feel like that. Is that what you're going to tell God? You're not going to like his response. Ask King David. Ask, just go down the line. Solomon especially. When God told him not to, stay away from all those women, Solomon. And what did he do? God knows what he's doing. Number five, do you love the Lord enough? Do you love the Lord enough to separate yourself from the world? Remember I said earlier about the friends? I understand the friends. That's how you love friends to yourself. That's how, not to yourself. That's how you love friends to Christ. A good friend of mine brought me a plaque. She was in Lubbock. I told her, group in there in the panhandle. I knew it was somewhere in the panhandle. She was in Lubbock, and she walked into a craft store. And in that craft store, she saw a sign. And she says, she said, uh, Pastor, when I saw that sign, I saw you. I said, really? Well, what did you see in that sign? She said, she turned it around for me to read it. And that sign right now is hanging over my desk in my office. Here's what it says. It says, live life in such a way that when people see you who do not know Christ, they will desire to know God because they know you. Do you have friends like that? Do people, are people able to see that in you? I also said to the group back there this morning, be very careful, ladies and gentlemen. You think no one see what's happening. Our God never deals in any situation with any man, any woman, any boy or girl on a singular fashion. God will allow things to occur, to occur in your life, to stir in your life, to come up in your life because somebody outside of your circumference, Sophia, they're watching. And they're looking. And you know what they're doing? They're looking at you and saying, if that's a Christian Finish it for yourselves. If this is what Christians do, mm -hmm. so you ought to be very meticulous and careful how you walk and how this plays out because the enemies are waiting to blaspheme God. God is calling you to repent. Repentance is required. You just simply do it. That's what we do. 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Paul teaches the church, the Corinthian church, do not yoke 
yourselves with unbelievers. And when we read that passage, we always understand that passage as, uh, as our children uh, in uh, marrying an unbeliever. Or we look at that, but they, uh, or them b- being aligned with people that doesn't love Christ and they're going to get hurt. But there's something else Paul is saying there. I want to show you this. In just those two verses, real quickly, he says, uh, it's a, he makes some contrasts here with different things. He says, what righteousness does wickedness have with communion? Uh-oh. How about fellowship? Uh, what fellowship can light have with darkness? What about the harmony? Harmony is there between Christ and Belial or Christ and the devil. Is there harmony there? Paul asked these questions. He said, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Can we all say it together? Zero. In other words, Paul is saying your walk must be in a way that when people are viewing what's happening, they see Christ. Christ is who should be seen. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I've been in churches where great injustices have taken place. Great injustices. I've been in churches where I've seen people fall and weep and cried. And God broke all that fallow ground up. Restoration took place. I've watched these people, God, go to work in their lives. The place started thriving. Not just the place, their personal homes, things were transformed because in those meetings of reconciliation, really meaning to be right with God, God broke not only the fallow ground in the church up, but he broke the hard hearts up that would go back and make the houses miserable. He broke everything. I ask you today, do you love the Lord enough? If God's speaking to you, if God's telling you, are you going to listen? Are you going to say, I'm not going to have this? Lord, I'm going to do what you say do. Are you willing to do that? You know, that's partly what's wrong with our society. Everybody knows what to do. You know, I can't remember who it was that said it. He said, the only way for evil to succeed it's when good men know no evil understand evil stand around and allow evil to progress did you hear that that is exactly where we are today that's where god's house church is today we need to stand up and be who god's called us to be even if it seems like you're the minority of the minority you're never a minority with christ ever ever Oh, I'm not telling you guys what to do. I just like to peep in every now and then. God's word is true. Paul says none of these things, but we're to have a relationship in such a way. They're to see, they're to see when I invite the world in here. Isn't that what we do? Don't we invite people here? We invite them to church? When they come in, they're to see, they're to know. They're to know. Final question. If there is no fellowship between the temple of God and idols, then Christian should have no fellowship with idol worship. Now you say, Pastor, why? Well, before I say answer why, uh, before I answer why, let me say, 
Um, some of you think, well, we don't serve idols. We don't have poles, totem poles standing up and erected. And yes, we do. Yes, we do. I was preaching on idols one day, and uh, I was telling people about an illustration I saw. At, well, I was. Let me say I was. My car used to be my idol. I'd polish that baby, and I'd sit her out there in the front of the parking lot for everybody to see why I'm polishing, why I'm clearing. And when my wife and I was leaving, and as we were leaving, we drove a certain way to go eat dinner, and there's a guy literally doing exactly what I was used to do, out on the curb on the highway at the front of the parking lot, got his car turned sideways so no one could get in those parking spots, and he's polishing, get this, ladies and gentlemen, a gold, solid gold car polishing, and when you drive by the flashing glare, right in your eyes, you couldn't see. Yeah, we have idols. We have idols. Some of them have a lock and a key. We call them a front door. Yeah, we have idols. We do. Some of them are, are in a bag with 14 clubs in it. Yeah, we have idols. We do. We do. They're just, they're different forms. They're different forms. Who are we serving? Finally, Number six, do we love God enough to honor his son? Do you? Do you love God enough to honor his son? Do you love God enough to do what he says? Revelation 4, 11, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Do we love him enough to honor him? It's a privilege for us to do so. It is. It's a privilege for us to do so. Do we love him enough? Do we trust him? As I asked, uh, do we tell others about him? Are we testifying of him? Do we think? Are we thinking properly? Are we thinking on things that are pure, just, wholesome, holy, and of a good report? Are we thinking on these things? God will speak to us if we are. Are we obeying him? Are we willing to suffer for him? You know, unless you understand what Paul said, I've, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. How did he found, uh, come about that power? Through the fellowship of suffering. Through the fellowship of suffering. Are we willing to jump in there with one another when someone's suffering? Are we willing to say, Lord, be glorified in our suffering? Are we willing to say, Father, the words I'm about to say, the things I'm going to say, Father, help me in all of my actions, whether it be word or deed, help me in this situation bring glory to you because that's what it's all about so that when people see your good works, it glorifies the Father. That is the key, ladies and gentlemen. 